Hey, if you have your Bible today, go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to continue on here in verse 21. So we've been in the, uh, the gospel of Matthew now uh, for a while. If you've been around, uh, you have noticed that it's taken us a little bit of time to get through this. Matthew is very dense. It's the longest gospel. There's a lot to it, and so it's going to take us a while to get through it. But right now, where we're studying is in chapter 5. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember last week, we talked about what Jesus says about his word, that he came to fulfill the law, not to get rid of it, not to abolish it, but to fulfill the law within himself. And that looks a little bit differently than what we've seen before in the Old Testament. And what he's going to do for us here over the next several passages of scripture that we're going to study is he's going to elevate the law to something uh, that, that, that went from a just checking the box, just saying, well, I'm good, I haven't done that, or I have done that, to putting it on your heart. And so today we're going to look at anger, what it looks like to have a righteous anger, what it looks like to have an anger problem. We're going to take a look at that next week. He talks about lust. And so just as a, a quick disclaimer, we're going to be talking about some uh, adult topics. So just wanted to give you a quick warning with that. But here we're talking about anger. Matthew chapter 5, follow along with me here. It starts in verse 21. If you are following along on the Bible app, as always, I encourage you to hit that more tab, then events. And then you can find all the information that you normally find in the bulletin if you don't want to pick up a paper bulletin. If you want to just follow along on your phone. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. This is what Jesus says as he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard uh, that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to, guard, to, to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. We're going to take a look at this and what this means for our lives today. Before we do that, though, would you just uh, go before the Lord with me in prayer and ask him for his help with that? Father, we thank you so much for your word that we can rely on it, that it's perfect, that we can trust it, that you haven't uh, just put us here and, and, and we have no guide, but we have your word. Holy Spirit, now you live within us if we've chosen to accept you, Jesus. And we have your word that can guide us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that as we talk about this, you would guide us this morning, that you would soften our hearts to whatever it is that you have for us. And as we talk about this topic of anger, Father, I pray that you would just open our eyes to maybe some aspects of our lives that we've really held back from you, that we maybe don't realize are uh, impeding living our lives for you, Christ, because of anger. I pray that we would allow you, Holy Spirit, to conform us to your image, to look less like us and more like you, particularly in this issue when it comes to anger. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, as I was studying for this message, I ran a few, uh, across a few statistics about anger 
that I thought was really interesting. I won't read all of them to you that I ran across, but here are just some that I highlighted. Um, approximately 64% of young people, so these are uh, people aged 14 to 21, experience uncontrolled anger. That's nearly two-thirds of young people experience uncontrolled anger where they're yelling, they're screaming, they're putting their fists through walls. I mean, just terrible, terrible things. Just think about that for just a moment. Two-thirds. 23% of employees, so nearly a quarter of employees, cited anger as a significant cause of workplace stress. So if you're angry at work, you're not alone. If it's causing you stress, you're not alone. This is a common problem. Anger is considered the primary cause of road accidents. This is, this is crazy to me. Aggressive driving, think about this, aggressive driving constitutes 66% of traffic fatalities. Two-thirds of people who die from a car wreck, it was caused by anger. Think about that just for a moment. That's terrifying. That's terrible. Anger literally kills people. And it's not uh, just angry people who are killing others. Think about this. Uncontrolled anger can rise the risk or raise the risk of a stroke by 50%. It puts a major toll on your body. In fact, angry outbursts increase the risk of a heart attack and stroke nearly five-fold within two hours of the event. Anger puts a huge, huge stress on your body. Anger is associated also with decreased psychological functioning. It literally stops you from making wise decisions. It literally stops you from doing it. It impedes on your brain fully functioning. In fact, anger, many times we think about anger as outward, right? Somebody's yelling, somebody's screaming, somebody's putting their fist through a piece of drywall, but that's not always the case. In fact, many times anger can be internal. You ever just wake up on the wrong side of the bed one day, you're grumpy and you don't know why? It could be because of anger. Anger oftentimes causes internal problems that we can't see from the outside. And that's the heart that Jesus is trying to get to when he's raising this uh, idea of the law from just checking a checkbox off to this being on someone's heart. He's saying, hey, listen, how's your anger? Not outward uh, bursts of anger, but even inside. In fact, I even ran across uh, this. This is really interesting as I was studying for this. Anger can be a symptom of anxiety. That you can, anxiety in your, in your body can say, hey, there's something wrong. It's almost like an alarm system. Uh, the best way that I've heard anxiety described is like the smoke detector in your house. And sometimes that's really needed, right? If there's a fire going on, that smoke detector going off, that's going to save your life. That's a good thing. And sometimes you're just cooking bacon and the grease gets out of control and it's really annoying, right? You got to find the chair because you can never reach up there. Sometimes anxiety is that alarm that's going off and we have to say, okay, what's going on here? Is this a real alarm going off or is there something else causing that? Anger can be a way that we see those alarms going off. Think about it like this. Maybe you're angry at your kids for doing something. And, and, and it comes off across as anger, but really you just care about your kids. You love your kids so much that you're saying, hey, this isn't the way that I want you to be raised. This, this isn't the way that I want you to act. And yet anger is the way that we come across. Same way with your spouse, right? Maybe you're really angry, married people in the room. Uh, this, this will happen in your life at some point. You'll get angry at your spouse, right? And maybe it's the type of thing where you're looking at this and saying, hey, I don't want my marriage to be like this. There's something off 
here. And there's an anxiety response, and it comes out as anger. This is that internal anger that we're getting at. It can be an alarm system going off within your body. And not all anger is bad. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, as Christians, sometimes we uh, think about anger and we say, can't ever be angry as a Christian. I can't ever be a grump. I, I can't ever be sad. I can't ever uh, show any emotions other than happy and my life is perfect and I'm going to put on a smile on my face because I'm a Christian. Everything's perfect, right? Well, the Bible tells us that's not the case. In fact, God made you with emotions. Now, it's what we do with our emotions that, become, that can become sinful, right? And that's why Ephesians chapter 4 says, be angry and do not sin. In fact, Jesus, who lived his entire life completely sinless, had anger as well. He went into the temple here, and I'll read it for you in Matthew chapter 21. He goes into the temple, and instead of people being allowed to come in and worship freely, he sees people profiting off of selling things, like selling uh, uh, sacrifices here. He says this, Jesus entered the temple drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables, the money changers, and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he uh, said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. This is the righteous anger that we're talking about. Jesus has this righteous anger, and he says, Hey, there should be people in here worshiping me, not you getting uh, money here, not you being able to make a buck off of people. There should be people worshiping me. And particularly in this passage, he's in a part of the temple that Gentiles, non-Jewish believers, would have been able to come and worship God. They wouldn't have been able to go any further, but this is where they would have been able to come. And it could have been an amazing outreach that the Jewish people had to the Gentiles to say, hey, come and worship the one true God. And Jesus, he comes in and sees people just making a buck in this space he gets very upset because it's stopping people from worshiping him. It's this righteous anger. He's angry and he doesn't sin. So how do you do that? How do you know if you have an anger problem? How do you know what's righteous anger? How do you deal with it? If you do have an anger problem, what do you do? Well, Jesus is going to teach us this here in Matthew chapter 5. He's going to teach us how to check our anger, how to control it, and then how to channel that anger, just as he does in Matthew chapter 21. You see, if we just say, I can't ever be angry, right? If we just put on the happy Christian, happy-go-lucky Christian face and say, well, I can't ever be angry. The problem is, because God made you with an anger emotion, that those emotions eventually will bubble over. You will explode or you will become depressed, okay? It's just the reality of it. And so we have to deal with it in a godly way to say, God, how can I deal with my anger in a way that would glorify you and point people towards you, Jesus? We're going to talk about that as we go through Matthew chapter 5. So follow along with me back here in our passage. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And again, he says, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Again, he's increasing it here. He's putting it on the heart. This is why Jeremiah, the old prophet Jeremiah here, he says in chapter 31, which, by the way, if you have some time, 
go back this week or later today, read Jeremiah chapter 31. Man, it is just a, such a good picture of what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount. But here's just a highlight for you, one verse from this chapter. It says, for this, uh, or, sorry, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, look at this, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. He's taking the law and he's saying, okay, no longer is it just going to be on a stone tablet. No longer is it just going to be words written on a page. It's now going to be on your heart. And this is what Jesus is doing as he said, hey, I know you've heard that you shouldn't murder. And, and that's a good law, right? I mean, no one's advocating for murder, right? That's a good law. But we're going to up the standards a little bit. He says, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother, look at this, angry with his brother, be liable to judgment. Now, you might uh, think, okay, we just read in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. And yet Jesus here says, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. How do we reconcile those two things here? Should I be angry? Should I not? Can I be angry? Can I not? What's going on here? Was well, Jesus is saying that if you look at the original language, what he's pointing at is he's pointing at this idea of holding on to anger. Anger is a natural response to something that's not right. You might be looking at something and saying, that's just not right. You might have a really righteous anger in your life when you look at injustices all around us and say, that's just not right. That's not the way that God made that to be. And that will be a good thing. But we, again, we have to deal with that in the right way. Because if we just hold on to it and we walk around as angry people, just holding on to things that we're really, really angry about, it will tear you apart from the inside out. If you hold on to anger, that's called a grudge. So the first thing, if you're dealing with anger, what not to do, Jesus. We're going we're to talk about three things not to do and then three things to do. The first thing not to do, don't hold on to grudges. A grudge will tear you apart from the inside out, and it will do much more to harm you than it will the person that you have a grudge against. It will tear you apart from the inside out. In fact, in the next chapter, Jesus will say this in chapter 6. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, in other words, you're holding on to a grudge. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, look at this, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You holding on to a grudge not only affects your relationship with that other person, it affects your relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with the Lord is damaged when you hold on to a grudge, when you hold on to anger, when those thoughts just keep coming into your head and you choose to let them live rent-free in your head instead of taking care of them, instead of going and having that conversation, instead of going before the Lord and saying, I need your help with forgiveness. If you hold on to them, your relationship with Jesus will be damaged. James chapter 1 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Not Look at this. It doesn't say that you can't have anger, but that you are slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You holding on to that grudge will not produce righteousness within your life. It will harm 
the righteousness in your life because it's harming your relationship with Jesus. So how do you know if you have a grudge? I want to give you three things, uh, three uh, uh, symptoms of having a grudge. You probably have a grudge if the thought of someone angers you. If you're just, if you think of somebody and man, you just start steaming and you get mad every time you think of that person, you probably have a grudge. If you're having fake conversations in your head, right? The kind where you're like, you're always constantly arguing with that person in your head. You come up with the best comebacks, right? In your head and you're saying, man, I just wish I could say that. And you just wake up or, or, and, and you're thinking about it. Or maybe you find yourself just in the car and you're thinking about it. Maybe you find yourself doing uh, ordinary mundane tasks, such as the laundry or the dishes. And in your head, you're having that fake conversation and it never comes out. You probably have a grudge against someone. If you're gossiping, about someone behind their back, if your conversations are completely filled with saying, man, you're never going to guess what that person did. You're never going to guess how they treated me. You're never going to guess how they did this. Listen, if that's the case, you probably have a grudge against someone. And that anger, again, is going to eat you up from the inside out. As your pastor, I care too much about you to have that happen to you. So don't hold on to grudges. We're going to get into uh, here uh, in just a minute what to do instead. But let's continue on here in verse 23, or sorry, 22, back in our, our chapter here, Matthew chapter 5. Find out what Jesus tells us not to do as well. He says, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He also says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Now, there's different ways to insult people. You can insult someone outwardly, and we're going to get to that as Jesus says, you fool, uh, don't say that, th those things about someone. But there's also kind of low-level ways to insult someone. There's the snarky responses that we might have, that anger might cause, right? As, as someone might say something and you have a very snarky or sarcastic response. And that's not always sinful, but oftentimes it can lead us down a path, man, that's very, very sinful where we're hanging on to the anger, these snarky, these sarcastic responses that we can have towards someone. Again, it's not an outward insult, right? But it's kind of that low-level insult. Here's what not to do with your anger. Don't hold on to a grudge and don't go down the road of being passive-aggressive either. Being passive-aggressive oftentimes... And if you're not familiar with this, it's when you have a response where you're trying to communicate something, but you don't communicate it outright. You do it in a snarky way, right? Or a sarcastic way. And being passive aggressive, oftentimes we say, well, you know, I don't want to bring it up with that person. I, I, I shouldn't have to bring it up, but I'm going to make it known that I do not like what they're doing by being very short, by being very snarky, by being very... And it goes down this road of being very, very mean towards someone. Proverbs chapter 15 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Listen, you can have harsh words when you respond to someone passive aggressively. And instead, what we ought to do is in Colossians chapter 3, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, look at this, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, what's it say? Be snarky, be sarcastic, be passive-aggressive. No, no, no. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. It says Jesus forgave you for the things that you've done. And you need to give that forgiveness to someone else. 
Don't go down the road of being passive-aggressive and snarky and having sarcastic responses. It's not honoring to the Lord. It's not following what we see here in Colossians chapter 3, to be kind, have humility, meekness, patience. Hey, listen, this is why Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, this is why there's a canvas of it in our foyer, because it's difficult. We need reminded of this, right? We need to bear with one another. There's going to be differences of opinions. There's going to be differences of personalities. And I know I don't have to tell you this, but you're not going to get along with everybody on the face of the planet, right? There's different opinions and different uh, characteristics that people have. And listen, they might annoy the hajibers out of you. Maybe something even I do. You're like, dude, that's just annoying. Pastor Josh, why do you, why do, you do that right now? I know things are going through your head here. But no, l- listen, but look at what Colossians chapter 3.13 says. It says, bear with one another. We got to be able to say, hey, listen, that, that's an opinion that, that you can hold on to. And it's not, I'm going to choose to not let that bother me. I'm not going to hold that against you, right? Because some things are just completely neutral. We may not like it, but it doesn't mean that it's sinful or wrong just because we don't like it, right? That's why we go to God's Word and we build our theology completely on God's Word, not our own opinions. Ephesians chapter 4 also says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Listen, passive aggressive responses, snarky, sarcastic responses, listen, they don't build people up. They tear people down. They hurt relationships. Instead, what we ought to do is build people up with our talk. We're going to get into that in just a sec when Jesus tells us what to do with our anger. Uh, First Timothy Chapter 2, verse 8 says, uh, this is Paul, he's talking and he's talking about all the different churches. And he says, I desire that men in every place, look at this, should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Listen, passive aggressive, angry responses. Listen, that's quarreling. And what, what Paul is saying to Timothy, he's saying, hey, listen, the church shouldn't be like that. The church should be different than society. Society's passive aggressive. They're going to have the snarky, sarcastic remarks. Listen, the church shouldn't be like that. Too many times, the church is just like the rest of the world in our responses. We don't show the love that Colossians chapter 3 tells us to show. And it's because we fail to bridle our tongue, as James chapter 1 says. If anyone thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but de- uh, I'm sorry, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Listen, we got to work as believers to say, what I say matters. How I respond to someone matters. And I have to bridle my tongue. There's going to be times in life where uh, you're going to want to have that sarcastic, snarky remark. And it would be hilarious if you said it. Right? I mean, it, was just, it would just be like the best thing ever. And everyone would laugh and it'd be great. But it doesn't make it right. And as a believer, you got to take what James chapter 1, verse 26 says seriously and bridle your tongue. You are to control your tongue. You don't need to say every thought that comes into your head. You might say, well, I'm, that's just, that's, I just think out loud. That's, that's just, I'm thinking it, and I need to say it. I'm an authentic person, so I need to, listen, that's not, that, that's not true. You can control your tongue. Jesus says this, too, from the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. So control what's going on in your heart, and it makes it a lot easier to control what's going on in your tongue. 
Don't be passive aggressive. Jesus also says, he says, hey, listen, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. The original Greek word here is you fool. Uh, Some of your Bibles will even translate into some of these words. They'll say you idiot. It could be you uh, nimwit. Uh, It could be uh, 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 a numbskull, just all sorts of of words. We don't really have a direct English translation. This is the ESV here when it says, you fool. And Jesus says, hey, listen, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. How oftentimes do we talk about people, especially behind their back, and we say these words? We say, I can't believe what that guy did. Isn't he an idiot? Well, we say, oh man, that guy's such a fool. Um, if you don't believe me, um, bring up the idea of uh, politicians to someone. And I guarantee you, you'll start hearing some of these words, right? But Jesus, see, look, he's pretty clear. He says, you fool. If you find yourself saying these words over and over and over, you probably have an anger problem. And so what Jesus says here is he says, hey, listen, don't revert to insults. Don't do that. Um, Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 says, let your speech uh, always be gracious seasoned with salt. We just talked about that uh, just a few weeks ago, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Again, that's not starky or passive aggressive. It says gracious, seasoned with salt. In fact, if you think about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, it says it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Listen, those are good things. They build people up when you have the fruit of the Spirit. This is what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to conform you to His image, to look less like yourself and more like Him. It's a more loving response. So here's the question then. Here's how, that's how we can check our anger. How do we control it and channel it then? How do, how do we control the anger that, that we have which we can't control if we have the anger or not, right? We're always going to deal with that in life. There are going to be times where we have anger. How do we channel that anger into something that can glorify God then? We have to follow what Jesus says here in verses 23 through 26. Follow along with me. He says, if you're offering a gift at the altar, so this is an example he's giving, if you offer a gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you. Okay, so now he's talking about if someone is angry at you. He says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus, he's actually widening the scope of anger. He's saying, hey, if you're angry or if someone's angry at you, this is what you are to do. Now, a a gift at the altar here, this is them. This is uh, the Old Testament version of them uh, coming into the house of worship to worship the Lord. And so for us today, it's like you coming to church on a Sunday morning, coming to the sanctuary, getting ready to sing the first song and then remembering, oh, yeah, someone's angry at me. Or, yeah, I'm angry with that person across the room. And Jesus says, if that's the case, go and take care of that anger first. Why? Because, listen, that will affect your worship. That will affect you singing. That will affect you hearing the word of God. If when I'm preaching, you're having a fake conversation with someone because you're angry at them, do you think you're really paying attention to God's word? No. You're not, right? You're paying attention to that argument. And some, man, it's just so easy to do, especially when it's all internal, right? And, and, and we don't have those outward expressions of anger. We don't yell, we don't scream, and we're not violent. That's the anger that's actually really hard to deal with. 
Because if we're yelling and screaming, people are going to be like, dude, you got to take care of that, man. Like, you just put a hole through your drywall. Like, hey, obviously you have an anger problem. And if that's the case, yes, you have an anger problem and there's something to take care of. But also, if you find yourself having those fake conversations, you're holding on to those grudges. Listen, that's a serious problem. And there are ways that you can deal with that in a way that would glorify God. So listen, what does Jesus tell us to do? First and foremost, have a direct conversation as soon as possible. Go and have that direct conversation. Don't hold on to it. Don't allow yourself to bubble it up in your mind. Because when you do, listen, you're you're going to make that problem worse. You're going to make your anger worse. The longer you hold on to that, the more fake conversations that you have in your head, the worse your anger becomes. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus, and uh, if you have a conflict in your life, if you're dealing with this, if you need to go have a conversation, I invite you at some point during this week, read this whole passage in Matthew chapter 18. I'm just going to read one verse for you just as a highlight. But it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if you have a problem, here's some, it's groundbreaking, it's rocket science advice here. Go and talk to him. And and, and it sounds so basic and it sounds so easy. And yet, it's so incredibly difficult, isn't it? It's so much easier just to hold on to the anger, just to let it bubble up within us, just to let it fester. And it's really difficult to go have that conversation. Listen, in, in today's world, I think people struggle with this more than ever because it's so easy just to send a quick text, isn't it? It's so easy just to deal with things. Uh, in fact, uh, many things, uh, you probably pay your bills online. You make reservations online. I mean, you hardly ever have to talk to a person anymore if you don't actually want to, right? Everything you can do online. It's difficult to have those face-to-face conversations. In fact, I heard a study that said, I think it was like 90% of Gen Zers don't want to have a, a phone conversation right? They just want to be able to text, right? And I know I've heard from several of you guys, yeah, I'd just rather text and have a phone conversation. It's difficult to have those conversations. And yet what Jesus says is he says, hey, listen, if you have a conflict, if you're angry at someone, the way to deal with it is to go and have that conversation. But so many times we want to keep it inside or talk badly about someone behind their back and start gossiping. Paul will write to Timothy and he'll talk about people that gossip. He says, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. We all know the people who, every time you have a conversation with them, all they want to do is air other people's dirty laundry, right? They, they want to just talk badly about someone else. Hey, listen, if that's the case for you, don't be that person. Um, talk about your hobbies, talk about what you're excited about, talk about your upcoming vacation, talk about what God's doing in your life. Don't just talk about other people's dirty laundry. Uh, you're better off talking about the sweater that you're knitting out of your own cat hair, right, than talking about other people's dirty laundry, right? Because it's just not building up for people. It's not good. And again, you can be angry with someone, and it doesn't mean you have to go and gossip. You can be angry with someone and go and have that conversation with them. Again, not with a, a contempt, not with a, a, an agenda to say, oh, you know what, I, I, I'm going to prove you wrong here and I know you're wrong and I need you to apologize right now. And Listen, don't have that heart about it. Just be angry and do not sin, as Ephesians 4.26 says, and have the direct conversation. 
with someone. Take a look here at what else Jesus talks about when we're channeling anger. He says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Look at this. First be reconciled to your brother. And so again, we're not having this conversation to prove someone wrong. We're not having this conversation in order that we get a heartfelt apology from someone else. The goal behind this conversation that we have is that we are reconciled to that other person, that we're made right. Jesus does this for us with the Father, with his death on the cross. He reconciles us. He makes us right. And in our relationships with each other, we're going to wrong each other. We're sinful people. We will do wrong things. We'll make mistakes. We're going to offend people. It's part of life. And so we need to learn to have these conversations and then not with a heart of, oh, boo, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, I proved you wrong here. But with a heart of reconciliation to say, hey, I want to come to you again. I want to repair our relationship. There's something wrong. What you're doing hurts me. When you said this, it, I took it as this and, and, and it hurt me. And again, when we have this, it's a check in our lives too. This is kind of a check to our anger to say, Ah, do I really need to have this conversation or is it something that I can just bear with someone, right? Is it just something that they do because that's part of their personality and it's not wrong. I just need to bear with it. Um, you Oftentimes, sometimes you, you get nitpicky towards people and we don't want to do that either. We need to bear with people. But if there is a serious problem, we need to go have that conversation and we need to have a heart of reconciliation. Proverbs 25 verse 8 says, Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. This is what it looks like to come to someone and say, I want to be reconciled because we have a problem. Just like Ephesians 4.32 says, to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, again, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus does this. He gives us the best example, I think, on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus, he's dying a horrific death on the cross. I mean, talk about the anger and the wrongs that was done to him. I mean, terrible, terrible, horrific things. And in the midst of him, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the nail through his hands and feet, he's hanging there in agony. And he can say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If Jesus, who's dying a horrific, torturous death, can do that in that moment, as people are gambling over his garments. I mean, just think about it. That's horrific. Then you can forgive those who wrong you as well. And you can go to them and be reconciled, to have this heart of reconciliation, to, uh, above all, keep loving one another, as 1 Peter 4, 8 says, earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Have a heart of reconciliation. One more thing that Jesus says, when it comes to channeling this anger. So we're talking about checking and, and controlling it. Now we're talking about channeling this anger here. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser. So again, this is the heart of reconciliation. Come to terms uh, quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. He says, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, hey, come to terms quickly. In other words, if someone comes to you to have this conversation, somebody comes to you and you know you're wrong, you know even, man, you just made a mistake, what do you do? 
Well, if you're going to have a true heart of reconciliation, you have to be willing to admit your mistakes and wrongdoings. And again, that sounds so basic and so simple, just like, oh yeah, okay, I was wrong, I'm sorry, how can I make it up to you? But how many people in life has said that phrase to you? I'm sorry, I was wrong, how can I make it up to you? In a genuine way. How many people have really said that to you? My guess is probably not many, because it's really, really hard to say that you were wrong. We deal with pride, right? We don't want to admit when, when, when we're wrong. And yet Proverbs tells us, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. This is why James chapter 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. This is not only the sins that we've done directly uh, against someone else or, or, or against God's moral code, but also against other people. We have to have the heart of reconciliation to say, hey, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I wronged you. I made a mistake. I made a bad call and I shouldn't have done that. Not with like a fake way either. Not like, like when you say, oh yeah, I'm sorry that my actions made you feel this way, right? Like, hey, listen, don't go down the fake apology route. Be genuine about it. Be, let your love be genuine, as scripture would say, to say, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I wronged you. Parents, listen, if you want to have a good relationship with your kid, when you make a mistake, when you do something wrong, admit it to your kids. And your relationship will grow leaps and bounds. I promise you. The best way to drive a divider between you and your child is to say, I'm perfect. I never make mistakes. And then when you do, you don't admit them. That's hard. Amen. And it's hard to do when you, you say to your kid, hey, I made a mistake. I'm 20, 30, 40 years older than you. And I made a mistake. And I make the same mistakes that you make. And I need Jesus a lot in my life. And when you do that, you set an example for your kids. And when you do that in someone's life, when, when you can go and confront someone, not out of contempt, but when you can go and confront someone because of a wrong that they've done or that you've done, and, and you have that direct conversation, and you do it with a heart of reconciliation here, you have that direct conversation, the heart of reconciliation being willing to admit your own mistakes and failures and wrongdoings and ask them how that you can make up for those things. Man, when you do that, you point people towards Jesus. You ever have a, a, a situation like that, maybe uh, with a close friend or, or with your spouse, where, man, there's, there's a rough time in your relationship, and you guys have that, and then at the end, you're closer than ever? This is because God can take what the enemy meant for evil, and He can turn it for good. He can take what the enemy meant for evil, that anger that can fester within you and those wrongs and the mistakes and the, the conflict-causing issues in our lives and our relationships. God can take that. And he can use it for his glory. And he can use it as an instance to grow your relationship with that other person. And he can use it as an instance for us to point people towards Jesus. You might do this at work and your coworker says, man, I would have been so angry. How can you deal with that? And that could open up a conversation for you to say, man, <laughs> it's because of Jesus. He's done a work in my life. Yeah, that would have caused me a lot of anger before. He's done a work in my life. Uh, that's what God has done for me. When I was a middle schooler, man, I was a hothead. I had a big anger problem. I took down a kid. Who's, he's, a, he's a good friend of mine. His name's Kyle. 
And he probably, Kyle, he's a big guy. He probably weighed 250 pounds in freshman year of high school. I mean, just a big guy. And uh, because of that, he just kind of, you know, we, we're middle school boys, you know, and kind of pick on each other. And I just remember, man, my anger when he would do that, I would just be furious. I took him down. Like, I, I would jump on his back and just take him down. And he's like 250 pounds, huge kid, because anger controlled me. And when I was in high school, I said, God, I need your help with this. I need you to help me with my anger. And he did. And he can do that for all of us. He continues to this day to help me, to use anger as a way to actually draw me closer to him. We talked about righteous anger a little bit ago. And even righteous anger can control you. You could be angry about all of the injustices and the terrible things that are happening. Listen, and that could be a good thing initially, but if you hold on to it like you hold on to a grudge, and you say, well, I, you know, Christians need to be doing this and this and this and this. I can't believe, it. why don't they do this? It's so stupid, I can't believe they're idiots. And Listen, even righteous anger, even righteous anger can cause major problems in our lives. And we have to say, listen, there's only one person that can control all of these injustices. And that's God himself. And we're not God. God is. And he can control it. And so even righteous anger, you need to say, God, I need your help with this. I need your help to, to hand this off to you and to let you control this because I know that I, I can't on my own. I can't control this anger. I need you. And in the midst of that, when you do that, it can bring you closer to God. Again, it's not just ignoring our anger, pushing it down and acting like everything's oh so good and everything's perfect. It's using that to go to Jesus, to say, God, I need your help with this, to grow in our relationship with Jesus. God can take a bout of anger and take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. And whatever that means in your life, you need to do that with your anger. And you might be saying, okay, yeah, but I don't even have a, I don't even have a relationship with this person anymore. How, how do I go and have that conversation with them? Maybe that just looks like you going to God and saying, I need to forgive them. And, and I can't have that conversation because they're gone, they're out of my life. But God, I need to hand that over to you. And when you do that, again, man, you can grow in your relationship with Christ. And you can accept his peace that surpasses all understanding. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, if you've dealt with holding on to anger, you know the weight that that can be around your neck. You wake up having those conversations. You wake up in a bad mood. You're going around in life as a grump because you're holding on to it. And Jesus says, the life that I want to offer you, it's a burden that's easy. It's a burden that is light. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. Listen, this is the life that God wants you to live. He says, I offer it freely. Accept me as your Lord and Savior. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Come to me, all you who labor. 
So whatever you're dealing with, whatever kind of anger, whatever kind of anger you've had in the past, whatever kind of anger you're dealing with in your life right now, listen, Jesus is saying, I want to take that. I want to grow my relationship with you because of that. And I want to use it for your good and my glory. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Jesus, uh, as we all deal with anger and whatever's going on and our lives today, God, I just pray that we give it to you. We wouldn't live our lives in a way where that we're constantly gossiping and having fake conversations, just holding on to grudges. God, would you take our anger away? And would you use it to give you glory, to grow our relationships with other people, to build up your kingdom right here? Jesus, we need this. Anger is one of those things, man, it's, it's hard to deal with. It's deep-seated. And so, Holy Spirit, we need your wisdom. Guide us. Would you open our eyes to where we're holding on to anger, where we haven't let go of? Or maybe we have and, and we chose to grab it again. God, God, I just pray, would you help us to really internalize this idea of your yoke being light, your, your burden being easy. Jesus, we need that. We need that. We need your peace. Man, there's so many injustices, so many things that we can be angry about. Rightfully so, too. But God, I, I pray that that anger, that that wouldn't drive a wedge in our relationship with you or with other believers. But God, it would glorify you. That it would draw us near to you. That would help us to trust you more. That it would help us to do your will and build up your kingdom right here on earth. Jesus, help us to do that. It's in your precious life-changing name we pray. Amen.